God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Do you have a favorite saying? One of the famous Walt Disney ones is, the way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Now, I know football's on a lot of people's minds this weekend, so here are a few football ones. He who hesitates loses. Nobody who ever gave his best regretted it. Said by a college football coach, you have to perform at a consistently higher level than others. That's the mark of a true professional. Winners never quit, quitters never win. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Now Micah's ministry is taking place in the same time as Isaiah, as Amos, as Hosea. There's a section of Micah's prophecies, in fact, that are almost identical to a section of Isaiah's prophecies. Because God's trying to give his people hope in the midst of their judgment. In this passage, God begins by telling them that they've been crying out to God, pleading their cases before the mountains and the hills. And here we hear God respond, My people, what have I done to you? And what have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now that King Balak of Moab devised what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. What happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. God's response here is, listen, haven't I always saved you from outside threats? Anytime you were threatened, didn't I deliver you? When you were in bondage, didn't I send Moses and his siblings to come and deliver and lead you on my behalf? Now, the mention of Moses and Aaron is, is pretty typical, but the mention of Miriam, their sister, is not. And it's interesting, because she was the one who followed the basket down the river Nile. She was the one who spoke to Pharaoh's daughter. Exodus calls her a prophet. She's the one who leads the women in singing. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. Balak is the king of Moab, who tries to pay Balaam to curse God's people. Now we mostly remember Balaam from his donkey talking to him and saving him from the angel of the Lord, right? I'm sure you may have seen some of the paintings and some of the pictures we had in Sunday school and in children's Bibles of you know, Balaam feeding his donkey and his donkey laying down and his donkey telling him, why are you beating me? I'm saving you from, from certain death. And the angel standing there with his sword drawn. But instead of cursing God's people, God has Balaam pronounce blessings on them. And when Balak complained to Balaam, he was not paying him to bless those people. He wasn't getting his money's worth. Balaam told King Balak how to get them in trouble with God. When Balak followed that advice and God's people fell away, that's what happened between Shittim and Gilgal. And that, we know, God was faithful and just to forgive them. And here his people ask, what oblation would make him happy? What do they need to offer? And here God tells Micah, I don't want my people to come to me with extravagant offerings to ask for forgiveness of their sins. The passage talks about thousands of animals, tens of thousands of rivers of oil. They even say, should we sacrifice a child? Would that do it for you, God? And God says, no, no, I don't want that. Instead, he tells them, O mortal, do what is good. And what the Lord requires of you is but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Lord, who may dwell in your tabernacle? Who may abide on your holy hill? David asks a simple question in the psalm. 
Lord, who gets to live with you? Lord, what kind of guests do you want in your house? But he already knows the answer. Whoever leads a blameless life and does what is right and speaks the truth from his heart. Read the description. It's someone who's honest. Someone who treats their friends and their neighbors well. They're not only looking out for themselves. He's someone who, who doesn't take a bribe against their neighbor, against the innocent. It's someone who does justice, loves kindness, and walks humbly with their God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to speak and taught them, saying, now Jesus is just beginning his ministry here in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the previous chapter, he was tempted in the wilderness. He calls his disciples and began to preach and to heal many. And here the crowds are beginning to form. And when he sees the crowd, he goes up the mountain. And he starts teaching the disciples and those that were close. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were here before you. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Now we've heard these passages, and Jesus preaches a similar sermon in Luke. And we tend to talk our way around how different it must have seemed to those who were there. That Jesus is saying, you're fortunate to have these things. You're fortunate to be poor in spirit. You're fortunate to be persecuted. You're fortunate to mourn. Now, we don't normally consider those fortunate or blessed states. In 1986, a football coach named Barry Switzer, who coached at Arkansas and at Oklahoma and eventually the Dallas Cowboys, gave a press conference. And during the press conference, he said, some people are born on third base and go through life thinking they hit a triple. Now, this is what we normally associate with someone who's fortunate, who's blessed in their circumstances. One where we don't have to worry. One where there's not needs. And here Jesus is saying, no, the ones who are blessed, the ones who are fortunate, are the ones who have to put their trust and faith in God. The ones who are persecuting and oppressing and doing the other bad things here may look like they're winning right now. But in the end, God is faithful and God is just. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Paul began this letter by saying the Corinthians were enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, so that you're not lacking in the spiritual gift. And as we wait for Christ. Last week we read Paul implore them to be united in Christ, not to break off into factions based on which leaders they like the best. This week he says the cross is the power of God to salvation. And no, this is not the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is the guy born on third base is the one who's blessed. That's foolishness. But in Micah and in Isaiah and the Psalms and elsewhere, God has promised to deliver and take care of his people even when the circumstances look dire, even when the solution is counterintuitive. Paul here says the cross is foolishness. 
God did not come to beat the world at its own game. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. Send your only son to sacrifice himself. Forgiving your enemies through that sacrifice. What kind of sense does that make? Does that sound like wisdom or power in the natural and the earthly sense? But God was able to break the chains of sin and death to deliver us into his kingdom this way. But to those who are called both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For those of us in God's family, we can understand how this seemingly crazy thing is both wise and powerful. How Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection led to the breaking of sin and death. One that leads us to understand the great hope that we have in Christ. The resurrection of life, where light perpetual will shine. Where we'll be with our Lord and Savior forever. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God couldn't have put Christ in any situation for his birth and life. He could have used anyone to deliver the message. He could have knocked the emperor off his donkey, off his horse in Rome and had that conversation and not with Paul. No, but God chose and often still chooses people who cannot boast in their own power to deliver his message. Why? Just that reason. We cannot boast that we've earned everything in our own power. It's a free gift. God doesn't want us to be able to take any credit or to be able to say, no, I, I took care of my own salvation. Look what I did. Look who I am. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our hope, our strength, all of our boasting should be in the Lord. Paul here is not saying this as an abstraction, as some kind of principle that should be observed. He's trying to tell the Corinthians they shouldn't be divided into camps around Peter and Paul and Apollos. We as humans are not able to boast in our own salvation. Now he's not saying not to love and respect those who have built you up in the faith. Those who have brought you into the faith. But none of us is the why or the how of our own salvation. None of us are worthy to boast about it. Instead, we put our whole trust in his grace and his love. While what God does in the world doesn't always make sense by the understanding of the world, we can have hope. God is faithful. He was faithful in Moses' day. He was faithful in Micah's day. He was faithful in David's day. He called his people to, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with their God. Today he calls us to continue that walk, to follow in the foolishness of Christ. Today he tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the foolishness.